we are today studying perhaps the greatest, the most important, the most central and significant of all the Parshot. Is it possible? Could today be the day? There's a case to be made. We study the Parsha every single week, but maybe this week's Parsha is the most important Parsha of them all um, because uh, this Parshat Yitro, Jethro in in English, um, is the Parsha which contains the revelation at Mount Sinai. And the revelation at Mount Sinai is both theologically, like according to Jewish um, theology, um, and just just as a matter of narrative, it is the place in the Torah that speaks of the Torah's being given. Like the very idea that this Torah is a sacred book, that it is the word of God, that Moses got something from God that he then passed on to the rest of us that we should busy ourselves with for the rest of time. That comes from this week's Parsha. Now, that, that there's a lot to be said about the revelation and what kind of revelation it was and what exactly, I mean, I mentioned theology and we could get very quickly into some of the, the biggest and most contentious theological debates, both of ancient times and of present times, um, we often in this class will come across, you know, uh, sort of varying interpretations that speak to an underlying debate or disagreement over whether this book ought to be seen as the divine revelation, the word of God, or whether uh, or whether we ought to look at this, uh, this text as a collage or an assemblage of, of different, um, different sources, right? But the, the notion that that if you if you want to make the claim that this book is divine, you're going to start in this week's Parsha. This, this is the Parsha of Revelation. Now, um, so much to say, of course, he, here, and that's not to mention that the Parsha actually is named not after the Revelation, but after Moses' father-in-law, who, the, who in the first chapter of the Parsha gives this, is a really fascinating scene where he um, gives M- M- Moshe all this advice about how to adjudicate law, and that's that's a worthy discussion in itself. Um, but today, I, I wanted to to focus to, to get right into the heart of it and to focus on the the revelation that is what it what it was that came out of that moment, and what it was that came out of that moment. If I say this is the most important or the most significant the most kind of central of all the the parshot the the revelation itself contains maybe i think it's fair to say the most famous section of the torah not most famous meaning just about everyone in the world knows this section and that section is 10 commandments 10 commandments the famous famous 10 commandments it is i i must say it's something of a it, it must cut have come to our ancestors as something of a shock that when God Almighty finally reveals at Mount Sinai, when God Almighty finally makes um, makes 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 God's self known to the people, that the thing that God has to reveal is law. It, it comes as a you, you might you might expect God to be saying. Um, 
I, this is my nature and this is how I care for humanity. And these are my, you know, favorite, uh, uh, principles. Let me articulate principles for you, but, um, instead what we get are laws, very specific laws. It's as if the legal system begins and, and, and what a strange thing that divine encounter immediately drags you into a legal system. And the legal system that will become one of the great hallmarks of, 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 of Jewish life and tradition and religion eventually is composed of 613 commandments, which eventually gets translated into a whole legal system that's sort of um, um, worked out by the rabbis of the Talmud. But it all starts with 10, 10 commandments, 10 laws. And they present themselves as if these are the most important of the laws. These are the primary. These are the first laws. And you just have a sense because they are, because they're delivered by God itself. And because they are contained in this compact format, you have this sense. And people have always had this sense that there's something distinct about the Ten Commandments, that they represent maybe the most important laws, maybe the laws that structure the rest of the laws, maybe, um, you know, as Judaism is often spoken of as kind of founding Western ethics. Is this the foundation of Western ethics? There's a lot, a lot, a lot to be um, to be uh, said about, to be um, analyzed, to be um, worked worked out in great detail around uh, the Ten Commandments uh, and their significance. But today, I want to focus especially on just the fact of there being 10. There being 10, and, and not just the number 10, but, but, uh, but, but the way that the, the Ten Commandments are presented in this very discrete, compact unit. And what it is that we're supposed to understand from that kind of codex, that kind of, it does appear as a little bit like a, a code, that needs deciphering. And that's that's the that's the work that we're going to try and do today. That that is to say, 10 is already a very significant number, right? We've had already in this story, we, we had a big 10, right? The 10 plagues, right? And then, you know, Jewish tradition looks for other tens. Was the world created in 10 utterances? That's like a later idea, like parsing out the so that you could have 10, 10, and 10. And then in the Kabbalistic tradition, there are 10 divine emanations, 10 divine qualities that God uses to create the world. So there's another 10, and maybe that was hidden in all along. Once you have the number 10, then it's it's easy to start. It's almost like playing a game. It's like you just look, you're looking for patterns. And I want us to have that kind of um, game-playing mentality um, turned on today because... That's um, I, I'm not I'm not overly uh, concerned with the number ten itself, but I am interested in the project of looking at the Ten Commandments and trying to discern or decipher some structure, some some way that this this little you know two tablets kind of you know the the classic image with the with the ten lines that that, that maybe in this moment of revelation there was something beyond just. 10 laws, but actually a kind of um, 
a kind of um, a code for us to in, in a code in which um, something essential is condensed, some deep uh, message um, is condensed into just uh, ten quick statements. Okay, so that's our work for today. Can we look at the Ten Commandments and, as our sages have done for thousands of years now, try to try to discern some kind of structure to the Ten? Okay, what what's going on here in this? Why was this the thing that God gave us? And is there more lurking behind just like one, two, three, four, five, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten? Here are the top ten. Okay. So um so let's uh let's say a little blessing and then uh, and then we'll get into it. Baruch Atadonai Elohim Elachalam Asher Kitshana Bamitzvotavitzivanu La Sok Bidivre Torah. Okay. So let's just take a look at the commandments themselves first and um, we'll just try to see if we can do some of this work of of identifying a structure, and then we'll turn to some of the great uh, commentators who have uh, who uh, one in particular uh, who has done a, a rather uh, elegant uh, a job of 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 that deciphering. So here is a source sheet for you. That should be good. All right, let's just take a look at Ten Commandments. Let's just read them. And there's some of them, I, I said they're very t- ten very quick statements. Some of them are uh, are quicker than others. There, there are some wordy ones, and we're not going to spend a ton of time parsing every single word, um, but, but it is worth just up front reading them straight through. So these are the very famous Ten Commandments. Let's... Go for it. Okay. Okay, here we go. Do you see the chat here? No, you can't see that. Only I see the chat. So that when I'm like fiddling my cursor around, it's because I'm trying to move the, the, the chat out of the way. And I am having trouble doing so. There it is. Okay. All right. The Ten Commandments. God comes down upon the mountain. Uh, they, the people are all gathered around Mount Sinai for three days in preparation. And as I said, there, there's, you know, there's no underestimating, underselling, under, under uh, appreciating um, the, um, the, the significance, the, uh, the grandeur of the, of this moment, this moment of revelation. Um, but then God comes down on the mountain and says all these words to the people. And this is the only really direct revelation that the people ever have. This is like the only thing that the people, according to the narrative of the Torah, heard directly from God and not through Moses. So here we go. And um, I'll just say right up front that the numbering here is our classic numbering. There is different numbering uh, that uh, that is sometimes done in the Ten Commandments, and just I, I won't, I'm not going to speak all that out. But for example, in the Catholic tradition, Commandments one and two are read as the same commandment. Is that wrong, Matt? I, hear, I see you shaking your head. Do I have it? Do I have it wrong? No. All right, I'm going to proceed. Matt, you're muted, Matt. 
No, okay, forget it. We're just going to move on. Okay, uh, I am the, I, the eternal, am your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage. Now, the reason that the, I think Catholics um, number it differently is, is, is a good one. This doesn't seem like a commandment. Okay, the so first commandment. number it differently. Oh, okay, okay, that's what I was wondering if you were saying. Okay, 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 good. Yeah. So maybe the Catholics do it like we do and the Protestants number it differently. I'm not, I'm not sure. Okay, great. So, so, uh, so fair enough. Um, I am the, I, the eternal, am your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. That doesn't seem like a commandment. It seems like a statement, but our tradition reads that to be the commandment to believe that there is a God. Okay. So that's, that's the way that we re I am the Lord, your God is a commandment. Now, the second commandment, which again, could be, I am the Lord, your God don't have other gods. Could that could all be seen as one one thought, but we number this differently. So the first commandment is believe in God or affirm God or know God. Uh, no is probably the language used most frequently in the in the in the in the rabbinic discussion. Know that there is a God. Do not do not have any other gods besides me, and in particular, don't worship. This is the the prohibition against idolatry. You shall not make for yourself. You shall not make for yourself a sculptured image or any likeness of what is in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the eternal, your God, and am and, 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 an impassioned God, sometimes translated as jealous God visiting the guilt of the parents upon the children, upon the third and upon the fourth generations of those who reject me, but showing kindness to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is an example of the wordiness of some of the commandments. We're not going to, there's a lot to think about here, but we're not going to spend much time on it today. Um, why that that uh, is is necessary to to hear right now is is a good question. But the But the commandment, the second commandment is no idolatry. No foreign gods. Okay. Uh, number three, you shall not, and this one's a difficult one to translate, you shall not speak the name of the eternal your God in vain. Uh, we usually say, uh, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain, right? Or you shall not swear falsely by God's name. The idea in literally in Hebrew, do not pick up the name of the, of the Lord your God or the eternal your God uh, for nothing, Okay, so don't don't use God's name and swear by God's name for no purpose. Or maybe falsely. There's different ways to translate it. For the eternal one, not clear one who swears falsely by God's name. Okay, know that there's a God. Don't worship other gods. Don't use God's name in uh, false or lighthearted ways. Okay, here comes some familiar ones. Zachar Yom HaShabbat L'Kadcho. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Shabbat. The fourth commandment is Shabbat. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the eternal, your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or female servant or your cattle or the stranger who is within your settlements. For in six days, the eternal made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and then rested on the seventh day. And therefore, the eternal blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. 
Okay, another wordy one. And by the way, here's just an aside. The wording here is famously a little bit different than the wording of the Ten Commandments when Moses repeats them in Deuteronomy. And that's another kind of analysis that our that our tradition has has spilled a lot of ink in doing. What is the difference between the Ten Commandments as they appear in Exodus and the Ten Commandments as they appear in Deuteronomy? A little differences, some major differences, but mostly the same. Um, we're not going to do that work today, but I mention it because it's another it's another illustration of the centrality of the Ten Commandments. The fact that these Ten Commandments are repeated again in Deuteronomy. It's like, oh, they've become a code. They've become a code. Okay, so where are we? Um, the Sabbath day. That's number four. Number five, honor your mother and your, uh, your, sorry, honor your father and your mother that you may endure long in the land the eternal your God is assigning to you. Okay, that was Desmond Decker, the song that we opened with. Honor your father and your mother. Okay. Now some quick ones. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You often translate as you shall not, thou shalt not lie. Um, um, do not oppress your neighbor with a false testimony is the literal wording there. Okay. And then finally, and this is an important one, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. This is the one I always forget, but it's very important. You shall not desire that which is not yours. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or your or male or female slave or ox or ass or anything that is your neighbor's. Okay. 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 Um, that's different, by the way, than stealing. Stealing is the actual taking. This is just the desiring of that which is not yours. Okay, so those are the Ten Commandments. And let's just start by asking if you see any kind of patterns or um, themes running through the, the commandments. But I, I hesitate to use the word themes, like we could just look for any theme that emerges. Because what I'm really looking for here is a structure. Is there any structure to the Ten Commandments? Is there some sort of like sequencing or ordering or does it make sense to you as 10 things? Do you see anything happening here? And I want to just put up one uh, because uh, we just read through and there's a lot of words there. Here's here's a visual. We usually see them like on those two tablets and we usually just see don't steal, don't lie. Like you can just keep the principles in mind. So let's just do that for a second so that... Um, so that we could just have them all in our field of vision. Here's the here's the Ten Commandments, just like a there they are. One, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So just one more time, let's look. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not swear falsely by the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. And then on the other side, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet anything that is your neighbor. So there's a little bit of a, a quick and, 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 and sort of clearly laid out uh, 10. Okay, so what are we seeing here so far? I see a lot of hands up. Let's start with Rebecca. Um, my like Hebrew school education, this is how I always remembered it, was your first five were the do's and the second five were the do nots. So the first half were told, you know, I guess don't take in vain is also, but um, it's sort of like the establishment of like 
God and like God traits. And then the second half is just like your basic. Don't do these things. Great. Okay, great. Now that's a, that's a perfect one. There's the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots. And you're, you can really feel that because they just, just express, remember the Sabbath day, honor your mother and father. Thou shalt not kill. It's just a very different formulation. And as Rebecca says, it almost, well, I don't know. It, it, it largely works out to see the first five as the do's and the second five as the do nots, but it doesn't quite work. And that's what, what we're, what Rebecca's kicking up for us here is one of the immediate first moves that our interpreters throughout the, the ages have often made. And that is the move to see the Ten Commandments as five and five. And that's a, that's a, that's an easy thing to do with 10. Look, I have 10 fingers, five and five, but it's also, it also makes sense because Mo- Moses brought down two tablets. So I guess there were five on each, right? So that's a good move. Can we split them into two? And we'll keep that in mind as a possibility. But uh, it doesn't quite work out to say the do's and the do nots, does it? Because there's a couple of do nots here. You shall have no other. There's these this word, no. <laughs> no, you shall not have. Or no, you shall not swear falsely. Um, this word in the Hebrew, low. That's the word that begins all of the second five, uh, but it does begin two of the first five, so it doesn't quite work out. Rebecca's definitely identifying an important division, but it's it's not it's not it's not totally clean. Uh, let's keep going, um, uh, Marlene. So I think um, the first four seem to be the commitment to a monotheistic religion. And so it's almost like the first four say, okay, if you're going to commit yourself to me, this is these four are what you have to do to commit yourself, including the Shabbat. And then the others are, and this is the way you should behave as the Jewish people once you've accepted me as your God. Ah, beautiful, beautiful, Marlene. Beautiful. That is keen, keenly identified. The first four seem to do with God, seem to have to do with God and our relationship to God. And this the the last six uh, have to do with our relationship to one another. The classic language for this in, in Jewish law is ben adam le makom, ben a, between a human being and the eternal, the ever-present, and then ben adam le chavero, between a human being and, uh, and, um, and his friend and another human being, okay? So those are... That's a very important split just in thinking about what is this all the, this these laws of the Torah? What are what are they what are they up to? What are they what what are their concerns? And one is the realm of divine service and the other one is the realm of 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 interpersonal relationship, human interaction, the social world. And here the commandments start with God and then move to people. Now, that what Marlene has identified there is exactly what uh, the the commentator that we're going to spend our time with today um, is the Kliakar. And you may know that the Kliakar is sort of my favorite of the, of the commentators. The Kliakar is a um, 17th century um, uh, rabbi in Prague, Rabbi Shlomo Ephraim Lunschitz. And he's perfect for this job 
because he's always looking for patterns and codes and hidden um, messaging in the structure and language of the Torah. And he was, he's going to do that um, in fine fashion today. And he begins exactly where Marlene begins in saying, Oh, the first set of, of uh, in the commandments is uh, God focused. And the second set is human focused. However, <laughs> the Kleokar doesn't like what Marlene did very naturally, which is to say there's for the first four and the last six. A Kleokar doesn't like that. Why? Because that's inelegant. I see, I see Larry doing it. It's, it's got to be five and five. It's got to be five and five, right? And that's what the Kleokar says. It is five and five. And so well, here's what I want to do. I want to like, I'm going to amplify um, what Marlene has given us um, by taking it to um, to the to the to the to Kleokar's version. And I want you to start to see the way he is working with exactly that kind of um, dichotomy, but wants it to be more perfect than that, wants it to be five and five. So let's just take a look at what the Kleokar says. Kleokar is the person we're going to spend all our time with today. And he makes a couple of of uh, bold moves here. And the first one is the one that Marlene has already helped us to make. Uh, okay. Somebody, I think I just saw as I was going to the, somebody in the chat said, what does that mean, Kleokar? It means the precious vessel, the precious vessel. Okay, um, let's take a look. The Kleokar here. So now let's go down. Um, the Kleokar picks up at the commandment, which is going to be a problem for him, which is honor your mother, your father, and your mother, right? Because that's the fifth commandment. That's the that's this one here. And as Marlene said, these seem to have to do with God. I'm the Lord your God. Don't have other gods. Don't swear by God. And remember Shabbat because God created the world. This seems clearly to have to do with other people, as do all of these. And so the new the new idea starts here. But the Kleokar doesn't like that. Honor your mother and your father. With this mitzvah, we conclude the first five commandments which speak about honoring the blessed and ever-present God. Okay, and that is why, and here's a cool thing that he points out, that is why all these all mention the eternal your God, whereas God's name is not mentioned in any of the last five commandments, which speak about relationships between human beings. Okay, exactly what Marlene just said, except that he, <laughs> you can see he's already claiming that it's not four and six, but five and five. And... He points out another interesting thing. God is mentioned here. Uh, God is referred to here. Actually, you know, in the fullness of the of the commandment, you actually have um, God spoken out, right? I am God. That's in like, I am God seems to be in all of these um, first commandments. Um, uh, you shall not swear falsely by God. Remember the Sabbath day because God created the Sabbath day. And then, I'm sorry, I'm not going to keep jumping back and forth here. It's maybe easier just to stay with one sheet, but um, but there's honor your father and your mother that you may endure on the land that the eternal your God is assigning you. Oh, so that part works out, okay? God is actually mentioned in all the first five first five commandments, so that's cool. But Cleokar's got a big problem. It's not so neat and tidy as a five and five because that that last commandment, as Mar- Marlene 
um, saw immediately has to do with interpersonal relationships, the relationship between me and my mother and father. So let's take a look at how the Kliakar resolves it. Okay. So he says, and as for the mitzvah of honoring one's father and mother, yeah, I know that's a problem. Even though that is about relationships between human beings, nevertheless, it also connects to honoring the blessed and ever-present God because there are three partners in making a person, the Holy One, the Father, and the Mother. So honoring your parents, well, that, that, that evokes God because God also was a part of the process because if one honors one's father and mother who form the physical body, which eventually decays, well, then all the more so one honors one's father in heaven who gives the soul, the part of us that lasts forever. Okay. And then he says, and that's why the eternal year God is mentioned in the commandment on your father and mother. God places God's, uh, I should say God's name. God places God's name in the father and uh, uh, um, alongside, it should say, alongside side the father and mother. I just translated this this morning. So forgive the errors in order to tell you that when you honor your father and mother, it's as if you've honored me. Okay. All right, so um, did that work out? Did he did he iron that out for us? I mean, so, so now we have a couple of things to deal with here. We have like the split that we've had a couple of, of splits that have been suggested. Rebecca suggested the do's and the don'ts. Marlene suggested the, the God-centered and the human-centered commandments. And the Clea Carr is with Marlene, but wants it to be five and five wants it to be even almost like Rebecca wanted it to be five and five but it just doesn't doesn't quite work out we can't quite jam and get it into that structure and so you feel the Clea car kind of jamming it in or does anyone buy it is does he has he made a good argument here because after all he's right about one thing that God is mentioned in all of those commandments and there is a shift in tone when we move to lo tirzach, lo sinaf, lo tignov, like there's a, don't do this. Don't, it, it, there, it does feel like there is a little bit of a shift in the way the commandments are kind of spat out. Okay. All right. So now we've got a one template to process or deal with, which is God and humanity. Okay. There's a, there's a, there's a split there. What do you think of that split? And what do you think of the, what the Kliakar is trying to do with it. Emily, Alan. Well, I was seeing kind of three types of commandments and wonder, I don't know if this could fit into what you're asking, but the first three are definitely about committing to belief in God, right? Mm -hmm. The second two, you could say, are about the individual because you could observe Shabbat even if you didn't believe in God, like many, Mm -hmm. many reasons to honor creation. And then honor your father and mother. So those two kind of place the individual into some sort of holy state, holy consideration kind of. And then the last five is about society. So I kind of see God, the self, and society in there. Good. I love that. That's great. That's great what Emily's just offered us. Maybe it's not five and five, but three, two, and five. And there's something about these two that are distinct. These are all very God-centric. 
Yeah, it's true. God cre- created the world. Do we remember God on the Sabbath day? And boy, I guess you could say that God is involved in the process of honoring your father and mother. That seemed like it was a bit of a stretch, but the way Emily reads it, she doesn't get the five and five. And I just like, when I say the five and five, I just want to like make clear what I'm talking about is there's a, there's a, there's a yearning for symmetry here that our, our interpreters want this to be not just content um, uh, elegant, but also structurally elegant. Okay. But Emily says, Emily says, if we do, we can get the content elegance. If we leave aside a little bit of the structure elegance, three, two, and five. And I love what Emily's done here is to suggest that four and five are distinct from the others. So these are all the things you don't do to people. These are the things you owe to God. And these are sort of, I don't know, Emily called it individual, your personal, your life practice, your family practice, maybe. Okay, great. That's, that's, that's great. That's a great move. Um, let's see here. Let's take a couple more and then we'll dive back into the Clea car. Um, Alexandra. Hi. Uh, I think if the Clea car would like to strengthen his argument, perhaps he could add that maybe it's referring to honor your forefathers and forefathers, uh, foremothers from Avotenu ve'imotenu of the religion. And in terms of the structure of the Ten Commandments, I'm looking at it and enjoying thinking about it as not as a divided list, but a list that builds on itself up to bestowing on humans and making them understand that we have personal accountability based in our own inner godliness that God has given us. So that it's like, first, we have to understand who God is, who God is not. We have to understand our own divinity. We have to take personal accountability by knowing that sometimes our actions are because God compelled us to do so, number three. And sometimes our actions, like if you want to start wars, humans, don't do it in my name. That's your personal accountability. Don't blame me for your inquisitions, your all your stuyot. Like that's your humans. That's not God's actions. Um, And then up to 10, like building, building, building. And like, these are the ways that you behave as a godly person, as someone enacting your own divinity in the world. And then up to 10, I, I see don't covet as really God letting us know, like our energy, our focus has the power to create, the power to destroy. So when we are coveting that which is someone else's or not even someone else's necessarily, but doesn't belong to us, it's actually degrading to the object of that. It can actually like in the energetic mystical realms that eventually manifest in the physical, like really create action and really create harm. So um, I see it as like God saying, I'm God and I'm teaching you all how to be your own like holy beings. With your own great, 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 great. Okay, this is a, some some brilliant interpretation from Alexandra here. Um, first of all, and, and I think Alexandra is helping the Clea car a lot, actually, because first of all, Alexandra says, if we regard the the commandment to honor one's father and mother as not just specific to those two people, but just to ancestry, to the fact of my having come into the world. And having, you know, been produced by a 
a series of, you know, imagine there's like, there's a big bang and then there's like eventually life and then there's eventually a human species and eventually there's like my ancestor generation, generation, and it leads to me. It's like, there really is a kind of a tracing back to, to honor one's father and, and mother is to say, I have, thank, thank God I've come into the world. And there is a kind of a, a connection there. I, I like, I like what, what you did there. Um, and then Alexandra does something else very important, which we, which, which we have to do at some point in this, in this conversation, this reflection um, upon the Cleocar's binary or Marlene's binary, um, which is to say, if it's God and people, well, what, that's, that's a neat way to, you know, to label the, the first five and the second five. But why? Why is that important? Why do we even have the phrases in Jewish law, between a person and God, the obligations, between a person and other people, obligations? Why do we split? Because these are two primary realms of, of thought, but also because, Alexander suggests, one is built upon the other. And the Ten Commandments in doing, well, let's say five and five or four and six or three, two and five, in doing that kind of like stacking, the Ten Commandments is telling us something really central about the whole Jewish vision of of conduct, which is that you must begin with your awareness of the source, the sacred, the eternal, the all-powerful, and really like get that relationship into your system. And then from there, you can be like the, the obligations you have to other people are, are, are built on that, on some kind of sacred awareness that underlies all of society as well. And you begin to take your, um, your, uh, your, your divine understandings into your human understandings, you know, um, to say that there is that God is all powerful, you know, in the language of Exodus is, for example, to say that no one human being is all powerful over other human beings, right? There's no Pharaoh. If God, no Pharaoh, right? So there's a kind of a an inevitable implication of all of our kind of God-centric obligations for eventually our human-centric obligation. The, the most obvious being that God says these same things, but no, it's more than that. It's understanding what God is leads you to uh, to uh, a deeper appreciation of the of the sanctity of, of the human beings that God has created. Okay. Um, I want to now take a look at um, more in the Kliakar uh, system, because the next thing that he does is, if you thought that it was cool that what Marlene said or or what the Kliakar has just said, that there's God and then there's people. And if maybe you were even uh, convinced by the Kliakar suggestion that no, no, that fifth commandment actually is a God commandment. Maybe you were, maybe you weren't. But here you can see him trying to build this pristine structure and then he takes it a step further. And, you know, uh, we're going to spend the rest of our time on this Kliakar. It is really a masterpiece of Parshanut. It's actually him drawing from an earlier Midra- Midrashic source, the Mechilta. So the masterpiece, you know, is 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 built earlier and, and is layered through time. But now I want to show you what where the Kliakar goes next, because um, it's just a, we're thinking about structure and just the, the, the ability to kind of 
play with the or or make sense of the structure here is as is an art is a thing of art but also now that we've laid a foundation for thinking about god and people and god and people as two major realms of of our of our religious obligations um let's see how they might be connected so take a look at what he says here really quite quite beautiful if nothing else meaning if nothing else meaning if you don't buy it well let's see if you buy it okay so here um then we get to we see right he started explaining this around the fifth commandment because he has trouble with honor your mother and father and he came up with this alternate explanation but the, by the time you get to the sixth commandment you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery now he begins a new kind of analysis after god finishes with the commandments that are between humans and god we move to the commandments that are between one human being and another Bain Adam Lechavero, very famous phrase there. Bain Adam Lechavero. Bain Adam Lemakom is the other phrase. Just in case you uh, you want to take note of these, between a person and the ever present is the, the the this word for God means the place of the world, and then between Bain Adam Lechavero, between a person and their friend, their fellow. Okay. And he says, it says in the Mechilta Midrash, I said he's building on an earlier tradition. It says in the Mechilta Midrash that the two sets are parallel to one another. They are not just five and five. They're not just five with one theme and five with the other, but they are parallel to one another. Meaning, as you'll soon see, this one is, because, you know, imagine these tablets here. This one is parallel to this one, and this one is parallel to this one. Okay, so let's see how he do, does that. We'll go one at a time here. So when it says, you shall not kill, that is parallel to, I am the Lord your God. Let's just look at that again. This is like a, this is a wild thing he's saying. So this and this are somehow linked, and the answer is, for when someone spills the blood of another, it is as if they destroy the divine form and image. As it says in Genesis 15, one who spills a person's blood, their blood shall be spilled, for the human was made in the image of God. But Selim Elohim, right? The famous phrase, in the image of God. And this principle means that even if someone says, here's an, okay, so that's the basic point. The basic point is, I am the Lord your God is basically the same principle as you shall not kill, because when you kill, you kill the divine form, because every human being possesses the divine form. Now, that's a huge thing to say, a huge thing to say, that, and it, and it, it builds directly on what, on what Alexander was saying. But it's, it's it, it, this precise formulation that God is um, imprinted in all of us, so when we kill each other, we kill a piece of God. And so these two commandments are linked. In order to understand why you shouldn't kill someone, you have to understand that God exists and that God is in, is, is in people. Okay, and let's just, just to hear out and implicate, we're going to do this now with all of the five sets. Hopefully we'll finish before, uh, before one. But let's, let's take a look at one implication of this, he says, is, and this principle means that even if someone says, please kill me, I will forgive you for it. Even so, the killer would be punished. It is not possible for a person to forgive their own murder, 
for every person has a piece of God above in them. Okay, so that's a legal implication that he understands. Maybe you would think you can't murder someone, but if someone asks you to, that's fine. No, because it isn't just hurting a person. It's destroying the divine image. Okay, so, okay, so let me, let me, let me take a step back here again and ask, like, what are we, what are we seeing here? And do you, do you buy this? That there's, there might be a kind of a parallel between the first commandment and the sixth commandment. You know, I think I want to do just one more because that, that's, we could, we could, we could play around with those two ideas. Let's just do one more just to see him in action and see what he's going to try and do for all. And I actually think the next one is probably the one that works the best. Okay. Because he says here that it's also true then that you shall have no other gods before me is parallel to you shall not commit adultery. And I think you uh, smart people out there um, will, uh, uh, and I mean all of you, um, will see the link immediately. And um, and the prophets of Israel um, also used a metaphor that makes it clear. Idol, idol worshipers are referred to often as an adulterous wife in Ezekiel 16.32. And, and and it's wife, by the way, because that's us. We, the people of Israel, are the adulterous wife. The people of Israel are referred to as a, a woman in the metaphor. Then God being the husband, we've cheated on God by worshiping other gods. Okay. Gender dynamics there, surely, that we could like problematize. No question. But you see the basic parallel, right? To cheat on God is like to cheat on people. Right? And, and there's a kind of parallel. Now it's like to destroy a person is destroying God. And to, um, is, and to cheat on a person is the same energy, the same ethic, the same principle as to cheat on God. And there's like, it's now almost like we're identifying five, five tiers or five basic principles. There are 10 commandments, but there's five underlying principles that you could stack one on top of the other. Okay, we'll make sure to see them all before we finish, but let's just take a pause here. I see hands up, but I'm not sure this is your moment. Raise, wave to me if you're, if you're ready to go. All of you are ready to go. Okay, so let's hear from Matt, Noah, and Ariella. Against his previous trying to make five into a God thing, because he's now making all of them into God things. And so... You can't have five and five if, if it's really 10. And I personally, if I were drawing this, I would say five parallels to one. Because honoring your father and mother is sort of like saying, I am God, which is an honoring thing. And then his third, I just have to say that that is just so weak. You didn't mention it, but that stealing is is like, it's not like, I mean, it's just, no, it's it's stealing is not falsely talking about God. He's just oh no, no, Matt's not convinced. All right, Matt not, mentions, but it, I so. do think, but I do think it absolutely is a God world, people world, the people world parallels the God world. I think that is is absolutely there. I just don't think that we can make this tiny little detail that that we need to because. Because if killing people is is God thing, then then there's six and four, and then there's not, and 
Um, and okay. I just also okay. want to just I, make one quick, really quick point. Can I make okay? Very quick because we're really running out yeah, of time this, here. I I I one through four or five or whatever. I still can't be a Jew. There's it's all the stuff about God and tells me nothing about doing the religion. That's why we've got that other book coming up that tells us what to do. I can have a society with with five through six, ten. I can't have the religion with one through four. Okay, okay, okay. So wait, okay. so wait. First of all, first of all, Matt mentions number three or number the third set, and Matt doesn't like the third set. So let's just see it. I want us to see all of these because the, the, the they're just it's just so cool. Like. I, we 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 can decide we don't we don't buy it, but there's something so cool about this kind of just at least to my sensibilities. This is like this is the beauty of parshanut of like of interpretation. It's like pattern spotting, sometimes pattern seeking, and maybe you don't buy the pattern that he's identified. But here, but but we should at least see it because it's just it's almost acrobatic. Um, Okay, here's the next one. You shall not swear falsely by the name of your eternal your God. Oh, sorry. Yeah, by the name of the eternal your God is parallel to the she you shall not steal because one who steals will end up swearing falsely. And also one steals, one who steals. So that's the first point. First point is if you steal something, eventually you're going to say, I swear to God, I didn't do it. So they're connected in that way. But I think this is the deeper connection. Also, one who steals acts as if the eye above cannot see, just as one who swears falsely to justify their lies acts as if the eye above cannot see. So Matt doesn't buy it, but you can start to feel what the Kliakar is doing. Like I tried to write it down and I don't know if I came up with the right words, but you know, the first principle is like something against destruction, annihilation. And don't just, don't, don't, don't destroy a person because you would be destroying God. The second principle is something like betrayal, right? Don't betray a person, don't betray God. So the third principle here is something like disregard. I, I, who cares if this property belongs to someone else? You know, who cares what God's name means? Just like, who cares? I want what's mine, right? So like, you can see that there's a kind of a suggestion of like kind of underlying principles here, okay? And um, and uh, Matt says, I'm not sure I buy three, but Matt does say, and this might be the takeaway that many of you leave this conversation with, I like what he's doing in general, what Marlene started us off doing. It's just a, a, this what Alexandra named, this suggestion that there really is an important relationship between the divine consideration and the human consideration. And they are often um, threaded through. Theology and ethics are interwoven in this tradition. Now, Matt says it, but I'm not sure I buy all the connections. Okay, maybe you don't buy all the connections. But I think part of what's important is seeing the search for these connections itself uh, leads to a kind of unearthing of of, of something that we, we, we do um, we do. We are swayed by, which is the basic um, dichotomy, that, and and the, and maybe the the relationship between those two basic spheres. Maybe if not all of them precisely. Okay. Um, Noah Pollock. Yeah, I, I've seen them this time. You both, uh, Clee, the Cars, Blend, Ashel, Bluber, 
I mean, and Solid Egypt, that were that I'm seeing the first four of them, they're the start of the relationship in building a society that's completely founded on the I vow relationship that we're bringing act, the actions of God into the world, creating holy worlds through our speech and through our actions. Number five, I'm seeing as this very, very start of Uber's IU relationship that for Shalom Bayit and Shalom in society, we have to honor and respect our parents as we honor and respect others. And the next Okay, I'm going I'm to cut you off here because I can see you've thought through all of them. But but just because we're running out of time, you said something so really important that I and 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 directly applicable that I just want to I want to under underscore what you've said, which is Martin Buber um, famously um, speaks about our relationship with God as um of uh, as as a a a, di- a dialogic relationship like one that we are in dialogue with god and therefore it, it the being in a relationship with god is about identifying another and speaking to another and being in relationship with another and that's like a that becomes the central metaphor in his theology and maybe it is the central metaphor in jewish theology that we use the fact of our being able to relate to and um and and see another human being we use that as a kind of a template for thinking about relating to God. We don't actually believe that God is another listening person who has feelings and thoughts like a human being does, but we use that device in order to think about relationships, our relationship now with God and our relationship with people. And in that sense, it's almost like instead of our God consciousness teaching us how to act with people, it's our people consciousness that teaches us how to reach out and relate to God, right? So that's a very important framework that Buber and Noah offer us to think about how all of this is about relationships. And there's the relation, there's the vertical relationship and the horizontal relationships, but they're similar kind of movements or dynamics. Okay, Ariella. Well, when you talked about the first one about not killing, it immediately what came to my mind was every person has a nishama, a soul given by God, so that when we're killing another person, it's like we're killing what God has given. So that really made sense to me, the fact that there really is a connection. Good. Okay, good. So... Uh, so back to back to number one there, we see human beings as embodying divinity. Good. Um, let's just, uh, as we ha- now are, are counting down the, the last few minutes here, let's just look at the last two, and then I think we'll have time for one last comment from Jen. Um, let's look at the last two. Uh, the, the, the fourth set is, I think, very el- elegantly done. Some of these are are really nice. And the fourth set is, remember the Sabbath day is parallel to you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Because one who desecrates the Shabbat is testifying that the Holy Blessed One did not create the world. So it's like lying. Now, I don't know if you buy this, but it's kind of, there's something kind of elegant about it. Because remember, Shabbat 
was about remembering that in 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 um, uh, six days the eternal made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and then rested on the seventh day. So when you keep Shabbat, the idea is that you're testifying to God's handiwork. And so if you don't keep Shabbat, you're falsely testifying, right? So there's like, you can lie about other people and you shouldn't do that. And you can lie about God and you shouldn't do that. You should be honest about how you represent others, okay? And then, so I, I like some of these, these connections a lot. I have to say, we started off with him like, not being able to quite figure out the fifth commandment on your mother and father. And here he is at the end, again, trying to figure out that fifth commandment. And once again, I, I feel like this is the, the fly in the ointment for the Kliakar. Once again, it's like very uh, contorted explanation for how honor your mother and father. Remember, that had to be one of the divine commandments. And now it also has to be the one that stacks against you shall not covet. And remember, one of the things you shouldn't covet is your neighbor's wife. Now, it's not sleeping with your neighbor's wife, that's adultery. It's just desiring to sleep with her. So take a look at what he says. And for those of you who have not been convinced all along, this will be good fodder for your case, I think. But it's also interesting. Uh, he says, yeah, the last one here. You Honor your father and mother is parallel to you shall not covet because anyone who desires what is not theirs, such as their neighbor's wife, will end up thinking about her during sex. <laughs> and then it will be as if the child that is born from that sex will have been born from another woman, the one he desired and fantasized about. And so the child, and if so, the child will not honor their mother as they should because their father was fantasizing about this other woman. And they will also not honor their father because this father who desired the other woman was not really trying to have this child, but just to fulfill his lusts. His intention was not directed towards this union. And so it is as if, as if the child is not his. And so the child will not honor him. Because everything follows from intention. Look at that last line there. Now, I, I bet some of you feel, as I just said, like, oh, this is quite a stretch. And it's really like, and what is he even saying? And like, oh, this child won't respect because they'll know you were fantasizing about someone else during sex. Like very very like that's that's quite a move and remember this this command was already troubling to him but i do like the idea that he's saying intention matters the underlying principle matters here the the it's not just your behavior but it is your consciousness it's the value and the virtue and the principle that your mind is directed towards and that that notion does seem like a big part of what the kliakar has been saying all along is it isn't just that we don't do these 10 things. It's that there are some foundational underlying values that these 10 things are expressing, not destroying, not misrepresenting, not, um, not uh, um, um, disregarding, not betraying, right? So there's like principles in there and he's searching for them. And maybe it's not always clean and, 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 and tidy, um, the work that he, that he ends up doing, but there's some, the, the work is, is, is noble, I think, in itself. All right, uh, we've got time for one last quick comment from Jen. Yeah, I mean, we have this idea that we have to have these linear lists that we're sort of chopping into bits and then putting next to each other. And I, I think that we're really limited when we try to visualize this linearly, because if I were to, if I were to draw the conversation that we just had, like it would be a spiral. 
each one has a time to pass the other multiple times and connect which, with each other one. And every connection that you make brings up something new and something different. I mean, and that's, if I were to map this conversation, that would be exactly how it would look. So I think, you know, I don't know how you'd fit that on two tablets. Um, but I think if we visualize it as a spiral, then we free ourselves up to be more spiritually creative with this. And maybe that's the point. Good. Okay, great. That's a great note to end on. Because part of what we've been doing throughout this class, we're looking, we're thinking about the Ten Commandments, we're thinking about the values underlying the Ten Commandments, it's an important thing to do. But we're also following the, the, the kind of the artistry and the, 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 the kind of the pattern um, that um, the Kliakar is trying to give us. And because there are Ten Commandments, as I said at the start, there's this kind of, because there are even on two tablets, there's this temptation. Um, and because, and I should say, because above all, we regard this as a divine text. Surely the structure of it, the n- number of it, the, the layout of it, that's important as well. And that's one tendency in the tradition is to, to honor the, 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 the perfection and the divinity of this text by, by finding its hidden patterns. But on the other hand, and Jen cautions us, and we should take this caution, let's be careful because some of the areas in which we saw the Clea car, we started to feel like he was overreaching was the, the, the desire for a perfect pattern um, uh, uh, above the recognition of all the complications in the text and the nuances in the text. And surely a, a, a sacred and divine text has that as well, nuance and complexity. So we have to be very careful. There's a, there's something beautiful about the, 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 the way that our, our interpretive tradition seeks to, to find categories and patterns in the text. But it's also true that this is language and these are values and those things are full of subtleties and complexities and, and, and spirals and interconnectedness that sometimes it's not, it, sometimes it doesn't do the text justice just to say there's 10 and 10 and 5 and 5 and they all stack up. Like, Sometimes you can over pattern. So let's be cautious of that as well. So, okay, great work today, everybody. Have a good shot and I'll see you next week. Bye.